Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Everybody, welcome into the flagship podcast. I am Chip Brown of Horns 24-7, joined by the managing editor of Horns 24-7, Taylor Estes. Taylor, how's it going? It's going well, Chip. We are really, what, less than two weeks out from the start of fall camp, so going to be a football-focused show today, but how are you doing? I mean, I think Steve Sarkeesian's talking to the media on August 2nd. Oh, so we're even first day of practice is August 3rd. So we're like a week away. (laughs) You ready? I'm ready. Yes, I am definitely ready. It's been a big off season for Texas, but there's still a lot of, you know, questions that need to be answered on the field. So going to be a a lot of information going on over at Horns 24-7 leading up to the football season. With that, make sure you join Horns 24-7, get an annual membership. That way you can check in on all of the other sites, the teams that Texas will be facing, get some previews on them too. But this is the time to definitely join Horns 24-7. If you sign up, you get 30% off your first year of Texas VIP Scoop. So go ahead and go on over and do that, Chip, right? Oh, yeah. And there's even more incentive for everyone to get on board at Horns 24-7 because this weekend is a big recruiting weekend for Texas uh, with 2023 and 2024 prospects. Arch Manning uh, expected to make a uh, guest appearance and help and continue to help in the recruitment of 23 and 24 um, prospects. So, uh, and check out the all the podcasts over on the uh, Horns 24-7 platform because our recruiting guys, Mike Roach and Hudson Standish, are are podcasting and talking about this recruiting weekend. So so get in there. And um, obviously, when uh, with a week to go before we get into fall camp, it's, uh, you know, we have been talking about our position battle um, rankings, our top six position battles going into fall camp. We'll continue uh, that conversation. We gave you number six and number five last week. We will give you uh, number four and number three this week. And uh, one of the position battles you might find in that countdown is uh, at quarterback. And well, we haven't talked about yet, but... <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it seems <laughs> everyone like, knows, right? Come on. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That one's still to come. So, you know, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, I think it's interesting. I had some conversations last week, Taylor, uh, that I wrote about in the insider at, at horns 24 seven. And it, it was interesting to me and talking to one source who um, just said point blank, 
they're completely different quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of like, but then you realize that Hudson Card is a dual threat. He was recruited as a dual threat. And Quinn Ewers is a pro style passer who's going to stay in the pocket, try to make the, the throws, you know, in his progression. And that is, he's, he's what Steve Sarkeesian wants at quarterback when we're talking about Quinn Ewers. And so, I mean, I just think it's going to be a bit of an upset uh, if Hudson card can even start the season Taylor, because Steve Sarkeesian, you know, last year there were times we were wondering like, why won't Steve Sarkeesian commit to Casey Thompson? Mm-hmm. In fact, in the Kansas game, he opened it up, right? He said, I'm going to play both quarterbacks. And that turned into a disaster, unfortunately for card. Cause he got strip sacked that led to a touchdown. Then he threw a pick six, which led to another touchdown and Texas went down 21. Casey Thompson comes in, leads them back, uh, gets them into overtime, but they lose the game. And a big part of the reason that Steve Sarkeesian was not committing to Casey Thompson is because he was, you know, trying to recruit Quinn Ewers to Texas. And now he's got his guy, Taylor, and it just seems like, and you combine the fact, and this was probably the most significant part of the insider last week, the new rule that allows coaches to coach uh, the players that is enormous for transfers and newcomers who are trying to get up to speed and, you know, have either because they missed spring or in the quarterback's case, because they have so much to learn. And Steve Sarkeesian has gotten to work hands-on two hours a week during the summer with, Quinn Ewers and the offense in, in trying to get him more comfortable schematically with all the calls, everything. And, and so the dominoes are starting to stack in, in Ewers favor. And we talked last week about the fact that Sarkeesian has said, I might, we might be calling the quarterback derby a little earlier than last year when they waited until Monday of game week to tell us. So it's just interesting, you know, obviously Hudson card more familiar with the offense. I've, I had sources who said he's more comfortable with the offense, but, and he's more athletic, meaning he can run. Right. Quinn yours. I was told is going to stay in the pocket and make the throw. He's a little bigger guy than Hudson card. That's, that's what Steve Sarkeesian wants. The question is, can, can yours get comfortable enough with the offense and not turn the ball over? Because if he's clean with the football, I think there's no question he's the guy from day one. Yeah, I think I think that's a fair assessment because you're right. What you said, <clears throat> Steve Sarkeesian, it, that, that's more of his prototypical quarterback that he likes to use. Because there were times last season where you know there were points where you were wondering why the quarterbacks wouldn't run when they were under pressure. And it's because Steve Sarkeesian does not want their quarter, his quarterbacks running the football. He doesn't want them taking extra hits. You know, they already have enough to worry about in the field. They don't need to be, you know, a moving target essentially. And so that, you know, makes sense why Quinn Ewers is the guy that Steve Sarkeesian really, you know, focused in on knowing that he probably didn't have at least coming out of last year, 
somebody that he felt comfortable to be the guy in the future. And I think, you know, when you say that that he's trying to recruit Casey Thompson, I I think it was more he never wanted to go in on either quarterback because he wanted it to look like it was open so that Quinn Ewers knew this was not going to be him transferring to Texas and having to take the job away from a clear-cut starter. And so this is going to be a lot. There's a lot, you know, to watch leading up to the season. I do think that with Steve Sarkeesian being able to be around the offense, Quinn Ewers and Hudson Card, that's obviously helped. That helps a lot more, I think, Chip, with, more skill players and more of the, you know, not the down linemen and stuff. Um, it's kind of like they're around seven on seven, essentially, is more what it is. So that really helps. But that that's what Texas really needs, too, because that that bat or the, the position last year, there were games where Casey Thompson played really, really well. And unfortunately, you know, um, things out of his hands made the games go against Texas with the defense kind of bogging down in the second halves. And then there were times where he was, you know, inconsistent. And so this needs to be a position, especially in Steve Sarkeesian's offense, that really is as tight as it can possibly be. You know, I think that there's going to be little room for error. And that's kind of asking a lot without knowing what the offensive line is going to look like, you know, in front of these quarterbacks, whichever guy it is. But at the end of the day, and and I think that that's also something to watch though, Chip, because I mean, do you, are, is Steve Sarkeesian going to want Quinn Ewers staying in the pocket and there's no protection in front of him, just getting annihilated by a potential? I mean, with the with the unknowns on the offensive line, it's really going to impact everything. There's just so many different ways to look at this. But I think everybody could know that prior to, I mean, the minute that Quinn Ewers obviously transferred to Texas, I think there are a lot of people that anointed him the the future of the position. And I I wouldn't say that's accurate at the time, but I think that's what, Steve Sarkeesian was hoping for. And so it's going to be interesting to see if that actually plays out. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the things are falling in that direction. Uh, the new rule allowing Steve Sarkeesian to conduct hands-on coaching with uh, Quinn Ewers and Hudson card, but obviously yours has the more ground to make up in getting comfortable. We've said here on the flagship podcast and I've written it, horns 24 seven numerous times that Ewers had many more interceptions during the spring than Hudson card. Not surprising guy comes in in January. He's trying to learn this voluminous offense and Anthony cook, by the way, I'm told was the leading interceptor in the, in the spring. And also of course had an interception in the, in the spring game, um, which, you know, for our conversation about, uh, the safety position and all of its new nuances. That's a, a positive to take forward. Absolutely. This defense tries to figure out what the bleep went wrong last year or how to fix what the bleep went wrong last year. Um, but interesting conversation. And I continue to hear that Quinn Ewers, you know, you're always – the players always know the players always know who should be playing the locker room tends to anoint the starting quarterback before even before the coach does and and i'm asking questions about that and you know sources are telling me look this team really likes quinn yours he's not a prima donna he's not doesn't he's not aloof he's a guy who's you know all about his teammates and you know, forget all the conversation about NIL and all that stuff. This guy 
uh, is showing his teammates that he loves football and he cares about them. And so now he just needs to get out there and perform without turning the football over and, and the jobs um, looking like it's going to be his. So we'll definitely keep you up to speed on that. But a week out from fall camp, that's uh, pretty significant. Also significant, Taylor, I thought. Interesting. I mean, look, it's summer. We grab onto things in the summer more than we would during the football season. Yeah. But Steve Sarkeesian revealed in front of the Texas High School uh, Coaches Association this week that he spent time in May uh, with the Los Angeles Rams during their OTAs talking to Sean McVay about the Rams offense. And um, our own Hudson Standish did an interesting little breakdown of the Rams uh, offense and how much they were in 11 personnel uh, one running back, one tight end, and how much they were in 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends, which tends to be Steve Sarkeesian's preferred personnel package, at least it was last year. Interestingly enough, Hudson's uh, you know, report said that the Rams were in 11 personnel 86% of the time and 12, uh, 12 personnel only 12% of the time, um, in part because... Uh, Cooper Cup is an exceptional blocker, capable of blocking on par with a tight end, which is fascinating in its own right because Cooper Cup, I think most people think of him as a wiry little receiver, quick, who can get open and in good short area quickness, not necessarily uh, you know, a devastating blocker. But uh, fascinating that this is where Steve Sarkeesian spent his time in May, Taylor. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, I think that it probably also helps that he does have ties to California with him being from that state. But yeah, I mean, that I think that's really important. Now, a lot of coaches will do this during the offseason. I remember when Tom Herman went to spend time with Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. But I think this is really important for Steve Sarkeesian. I mean, the this, you know, the Rams won the Super Bowl. These are the <laughs> the guys, the defending, you know, uh, Super Bowl champions here. So obviously, you know, Sean McVay is known for being really innovative with his offenses too. And I always think it's a good sign when, when coaches can kind of put themselves aside to see if there's maybe other people out there doing things better than what they're doing. And that's not really an easy thing, I think, for a lot of coaches to admit to or anything, just because you have to have, I don't want to say a big ego, but you have to have, you have to be very confident in yourself in order to be a, a head football coach at the college level, especially at a place like the University of Texas, where there's always a microscope on every single thing that you possibly do. And so, you know, there's a certain type of ego and that you kind of have to have in order to really make that not crush you, I would say probably. And so the fact that Steve Sarkeesian has really been true to himself and is willing to kind of put that aside to look outside of you know, his realm of offense being known as an offensive guru. I think that's really important. I wonder how much he would change based off of what he did see from the Rams and, you know, what those conversations were like. But, um, you know, I mean, with I I'm curious for your take on this, Chip, with Texas offensive line being kind of a, one of probably, I would say, the biggest question mark entering this season, I would be a little bit shocked if Texas went away from 12 personnel 
um, just so they had the added blockers, you know, to assist at tight end on the offense or to assist the offensive line. That's going to be something that, you know, if the offensive line is gelling, maybe you'll see more 11 personnel, but I think that's a big deal. And, and, you know, we all know that Steve Sarkeesian loves to utilize his tight ends um, in his offense. So they play a huge role. We're going to talk about them here in a little bit more so too, but I just wonder if he would really want to stray from that, if there was questions on the offensive line, what's, what's your thought? Yeah. I mean, last year he felt really comfortable with Cade Brewer understanding all because what Steve Sarkeesian primarily uses the, the tight ends for is motion. And mm -hmm. then he motions them into a position to help block or go right. out on a route, but it's the tight end. That's often, uh, you know, in the motion that Sarkeesian uses to help the quarterback identify if the defense is in man or in zone. Now, all the experience at tight end is gone mm -hmm. uh, it, it, in that blocking tight end role, which is the role that Steve Sarkeesian has to have on the field. And you're right. We will talk about that uh, coming up. And I think a lot of it is, I think Sarkeesian went and talked to the Rams to to figure out, okay, what if I don't have a great blocking tight end? Cause I got mm -hmm. young guys. How do I get away with 11 personnel? Um, you know, is Jaleel Billingsley a guy he can use in 11 personnel um, lined up in the slot to do some of the blocking that Cooper cup maybe has done for the Rams. Billingsley's a bigger guy. Uh, he was not a great inline blocker, but maybe he's a good in space blocker. Uh, the way that Cooper Cup uh, has been for the Rams. And and so I think that's going to be a really interesting part of this. And I, I think, um, and again, kudos to Hudson, uh, our own Hudson Standish, for doing that little breakdown because I think most people would be like, whoa, they were in 11 personnel 86% of the time, most in the league. That's, uh, that's a lot. And, right. and how do they... How are they able to, you know, get Cooper Cup the ball as much as they do when he's, you know, acting as a blocker uh, as much as he was? Sometimes he was blocking and going out on routes. So that's that's going to be fun to watch and leave it to Steve Sarkeesian to to find that nuance at a time where he has a little bit of a question mark at tight end. And I think, um, Taylor, that. Uh, you know that we'll get back into this conversation when we get into our uh, position battle uh, ranking countdown. But I do want to just mention one thing because today I wrote a little bit about the realignment situation. There, it's fascinating. Um, Jason Shear at our Arizona uh, two four seven site has been uh, out front on a lot of stuff involving the Pac-12 and what could be next for the Pac-12, which is currently in its 30-day um, exclusive negotiating window with ESPN and Fox. I reported a week ago, Fox isn't even at the table because they went all in on the Big Ten, and I'm told they got the new uh, Big Ten media rights deal for $1.2 billion. Um, so Fox is now in control completely of Big Ten broadcast rights for the next decade. And that left ESPN at the table with the Pac-12. And uh, Jason reported about a, a, a deal that ESPN offered that uh, would pay $24.5 per school. Well, that's not 
that's not a good deal, but it, I'm told it was, it was one of the offers. It was a short term offer, but ESPN has also offered a 12 year deal uh, that would pay the PAC 12 schools 32 million per school. Uh, but it would be all rights included. So ESPN would get one first, second, and third tier rights, just like they have in the ACC. In fact, if the PAC 12 took that deal, ESPN would then combine the ACC and the PAC 12 in, into a conference network for all the third tier rights, much like LHN and that the PAC 12 schools are, you know, pondering that it, it doesn't, sound like Arizona's real happy with either offer uh, because they're the squeaky wheel right now. And they're also one of the schools that was uh, reportedly in talks with the big 12 when immediately when USC and UCLA announced they were going to the big 10. It's tricky though, Taylor, because um, a y- y- Arizona state is like a diehard pack 12 school. Right. Um, and, it's going to be tough to pull them out. It's hard to read right now what's going to happen with the PAC 12. And if their presidents are going to say, take the deal, take the 12 year deal from ESPN or let this thing go to the open market and see if anyone else comes in to bid for the big 12. If, if the PAC 12 decides to take that 12 year deal with ESPN, that's bad news for the big 12 because that would essentially mean ESPN has the Pac-12, the ACC, and the SEC locked up, and Fox has the Big Ten locked up. And there really would be no incentive for Fox or ESPN to come in with a an offer that would keep the Big 12 schools where they are now. And that's what they want. They want to be at 40 million. And they know that it's not going to scale. You know, Texas and and OU and the Big Ten are going to go off and make between 80 million and 100 million per school, depending on what the college football playoff money is when that deal gets redone. The Big 12 just wants to stay where they are. I don't know if they could stay where they are, Taylor, if the Pac 12 decides to, to take that 12 year deal from ESPN. The Big 12's best hope is for the Pac 12 to fall apart. Um, and, and so, Again, that 30-day negotiating window ends on August 4th. Might get some clarity then. Might The Pac-12 presidents might wait to see if any other bidders are ready to come in. Um, but that's definitely something to watch uh, for for the Big 12. Yeah. And, well, I mean, my my thought is, Chip, and you'll you'll know, obviously, the most about this. When you talk about schools like, you know, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, Colorado, joining the Big 12, what do they, do they really bring a lot to it? I mean, the TV market thing nowadays almost seems kind of a moot situation just because there's so many streaming, op- you know, opportunities. I mean, how many Big 12 games were on ESPN Plus last year? There's a lot. And so I almost think the whole like, oh, we get this TV market is going away a little bit when you talk about conference realignment. So you have to look at the schools and it's like, are those four schools really 
do they really bring a ton to the Big 12 over, say, Oregon and Washington? But then if you look at an Oregon and Washington, then you, you know, when the Big 12 adds the other schools, then you're having Central Florida have to travel literally diagonally all the way across the country to go play Oregon or Washington. I mean, it, it just, it's all so like, it's so fascinating just to see how much, I guess, everything has changed from when realignment, you know, when 2010 was going down and it was all about getting the, the, best network or the best uh, markets when it comes to TV stuff. And now it's almost like that's not even what we're talking about. You know, it's just a lot of different things. I mean, what's, what would be your thoughts on the value that say like Arizona, the Arizona schools, Utah and Colorado would even bring to the big, big 12. Right. Right now, the biggest brands still available are Oregon and Washington. And when you talk about streaming, that's what streaming cares about. They just mm -hmm. care about big brands. Are you going to tune in to our streaming service to watch this team play? And it's, I mean, you can make a really good argument. And I think part of the reason talks between the Big 12 and the Pac 12 fell apart about a merger is because they got wind from their media consultants that the money would not be there, uh, that they're better off sticking with what they've got right now, uh, then diluting the, the pie. Now it, that's a calculated risk. And, but I, I agree. I think Oregon and Washington bring more eyeballs streaming or cable, right. uh, to the, to the big 12, but you're right. Then you're the conference that is, you know, literally from the corner of the country to the other corner you know north northwest corner to the southeast corner and is the money um you know are are oregon and washington ready to to gamble on that or are they gonna wait and see if the big 10 decides to you know bring in or fox let's be honest um if fox wants to bring in regional partners for for usc and ucla and and that's that's where this high stakes poker is being played right now. Everybody's trying to calculate: is the money going to be there for us? Um, the old Power Five, the 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 non Big Ten, non SEC schools, trying to figure it out because everyone would love to be in one of those two conferences, and everyone's talking to those two conferences, even schools in the ACC. Just trying to line up, if this happens, where would we go? What would we do? Remember when you had fire drills in school? Yeah. Or tornado drills, you get under your desk or whatever. Everybody's- We had earthquake, or, earth, earthquake drills where I was Earthquake from, yeah. drills <laughs> in California where, yeah. where Taylor grew up. So everybody's going through the drills right now to figure out, okay, if this happens, what are we going to do? And it's fascinating because- you know, the SEC and the Big Ten are talking to North Carolina, Virginia Tech, all in preparation for whatever that, whenever that day comes, if it comes. So uh, it's, it is truly fascinating. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It's unfortunate. We might as well call the Big Ten the Fox Conference and the SEC the ESPN Conference. Um, and, you know, it, uh, it is going to be fascinating. The other thing to watch too is Fox now can sub license games 
uh, like the 2.30 game to CBS, the night game on Saturday night to NBC in the Big Ten, of course. Mm-hmm. And would they freeze out ESPN from the Big Ten? That's very possible. And with the way that everything's shaping up, um, that would increase the incentive for ESPN to have content from the Pac-12 and or the Big 12, but they would want it on their terms. And right now, with this 12-year deal to the Pac-12, that they can combine with the ACC network, it's a pretty good fit uh, because we all know that um, the Big 12 is not your third tier rights are your own and ESPN was able to get the ACC to go all rights in so that they have complete control of everything. And if they could get the PAC 12 to do the same, uh, that would line up very well for ESPN and it would leave the big 12 sitting there going, uh Oh, maybe we weren't, maybe we aren't in the power position. So uh, fascinating times, discouraging times to, to, in some regard, but uh, let's see how everything plays out. The other thing, too, is Kevin Warren of the Big Ten threw out a 16-team playoff this week at Big Big Ten Media Days. Like, he's trying to out Sankey, Greg Sankey, and run stuff now that he's got the $1.2 billion Fox deal and USC and UCLA. And maybe he will end up running stuff. Uh, but, you know, 16-team playoff, and think about it. It was the Big Ten last year at this time that joined with the ACC and the Pac-12 to shut down um, going to a 12-team playoff sooner than 2025. Right Now, if you're the Pac-12, the ACC, the Big 12, you're wishing like hell that would have gone through because you need that money. You need that additional revenue from a 12-team playoff uh, than what you're getting from the four-team playoff. So it's just crazy how things can flip and uh, and we'll – keep you posted on on all that uh the alliance was not what it was called the, the alliance. alliance yeah the alliance just to go against the sec for adding texas and oklahoma and then you fast forward it's like hmm are you looking out for the best of the sport or are you just trying to be the top dog that everyone's talking about i don't know right and now the big tens in the exact same you know they cannibalized that alliance as soon as it made financial sense exactly. As soon as they could get two teams to add to them, just what the SEC did last year. I mean, the it's funny. Funny All is right. a funny word to use, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is. It's it's sad, the leadership, the lack of leadership. But um, we'll see what we get when it all <laughs> comes together. We've, we've got about four more years of this, Taylor, because of the Big 12 negotiating window won't open until 24. And that's about the same time that Notre Dame's negotiating window with um, NBC uh, comes up. And then we'll know what the next 10 years is going to look like. All right, back to Texas football. You've been, you love our position battle uh, countdown. Uh, last week we gave you uh, number six, the, the top uh, nose tackle, the battle between Keandre Coburn, Tavondre Sweat, and Byron Murphy, uh, and number five, the weak side linebacker position battle, kind of flying under the radar right now between uh, Diamante Tucker Dorsey and David Benda. That their ability to handle and and take over that weak side linebacker position um, in the base defense is what is going to allow 
uh, DeMarvin Overshawn to move to strong side linebacker and rush the passer. Uh, Texas looking, obviously, for, for pressure on the quarterback. But this week, Taylor, we go to number four in our countdown, and it is the young tight ends, Jatavian Sanders, JT Sanders, and Gunner Helm taking over uh, for Cade Brewer. And uh, typically what we've seen from Steve Sarkeesian in his two tight end set is he's got to have that blocker, Mm -hmm. uh, the guy who can help in the run game. Uh, That was Cade Brewer last year. And Jatavian Sanders and Gunnar Helm are battling for that uh, position. Now, they could rotate, uh, but it sure seemed like coming out of spring that Jatavian Sanders had uh, the upper hand in this battle and going into this spring or coming out of last fall, let's put it that way, Gunnar Helm uh, was the guy who I think Jeff Banks felt a little more comfortable with, a little more physical. You remember they had to teach Jatavian Sanders how to block. He's got the body for it, um, but he was kind of a stand-up receiver in high school, loves catching the football, uh, but man, he has made up a lot of ground in the spring. He was the guy who trotted out first with the ones. And I think he's a guy they're really excited about in terms of his ability to both block and catch. Uh, he, he could give you the best of both worlds uh, by, by being a physical blocker and a guy who can make some plays down the field. Yeah. And I think when you, when you hear, you know, he had to learn how to block Jatavian Sanders, that is last year. He also, you know, while he did play tight end in high school, as you said, he was more of a catch or pass catching one. He also played defensive line in high school too. And that's where I think he was ranked or rated as an athlete um, coming out of high school. And so he had to learn to block because he never really did it. You know what I mean? I mean, it was all new to him. He was used to getting around blocks or getting around, you know, coverage more so than having to, you know, be a, somebody to stop the, or, uh, to stop the, you know, pass rush and all of that type of thing. So I think that that's more where it is, but, you know, he was a former five-star coming out of high school, um, very, very talented. And I think maybe you're seeing that kind of, starting to play out in this position battle chip. And I think that's a, that's a good situation for Texas to be in. I mean, you want to have two guys that Jeff Banks is comfortable with to put out there. And it seems like the fact that Gunnar Helm was kind of the guy and now Jatavian Sanders is coming along, you know, competition is, is a good thing, especially at those type of positions. And Jeff Banks is a, you know, an excellent tight ends coach. I mean, he's known for being an excellent special teams coordinator and excellent tight ends coach. So if there's going to be a coach who knows how to, you know, pick the right person, it's going to be Jeff Banks. But um, I think that the the more that Jatavian Sanders can come along, I think the better it is for the overall offense because, again, this offensive line is going to need help when it comes to blocking. I mean, it's just the, you know, um, it's they're going to. It's regardless of if all of the true freshmen come in and play as good as they possibly can, there's still going to be the moments where, they're probably going to break down a little bit. And so having a guy that can assist with the blocking on offense is only going to help. And if that's Jatavian Sanders or if it's Gunnar Helm, you know, as long as one of them is doing it efficiently and, you know, there's not a huge fall off from Cade Brewer not being on the roster, that's all that matters, I think, right now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's going to be fun to watch. I mean, that's right. why this is a part of our uh, position battle countdown because – uh, last year at this time, um, 
well, even into the season, the word I was getting was that Gunnar Helm was the more willing blocker, the more willing to give up his body, be physical, that Jatavian Sanders was still hesitant, um, was more interested in catching the football. And when you have a body like Jatavian Sanders at, you know, almost 250 pounds, you're, they need you to block, you know, I mean, remember Jaleel Billingsley comes in, he's like 220, if that, and I think he lost some weight um, going in. I'm not looking at the, he's, the two, he's listed at 219 right now. Yeah, 219. He's Six, below four, 219. Yeah. So, and he was never a good enough blocker in Nick Saban's mind to, to be the full-time guy. So, um, you know, they obviously Steve Sarkeesian, Jeff Banks felt like Jaleel Billingsley had more in the tank. I think it's going to be fascinating getting back to our uh, conversation about Steve Sarkeesian studying the LA Rams. If they use Jaleel Billingsley as sort of an in-space blocker, uh, the way that the Rams use Cooper Cup uh, in their 11 personnel, uh, that's going to be interesting. He would be taking up one of the receiver spots um, in all likelihood, or would maybe line up as an inline tight end and flex out um, into the slot and then you know do his blocking from there. I'm sure that's what Steve Sarkeesian was talking to Sean McVay about. Uh, how do I, you know, where do I line that person up to get the blocking advantage uh, in in the RPO or um, you know the you know, pre-designed um, play action pass that we're calling or run or, you know, to block the running play that we're calling. So I think this is going to be fascinating there in kudos to JT Sanders for becoming that physical guy, because that's what I'm hearing is that he has completely bought in. He is uh, becoming a willing blocker. You know, we talked about Jared Wiley, who's now at TCU, 6'7", 251. You're like, man. But he was a quarterback in high school. And not, not, no offense, we've seen quarterbacks go become linebackers and, and do great. Um, it just wasn't working with Jared Wiley. It's going to be fascinating to see how TCU uses him. But you've got to have that guy, and especially in Steve Sarkeesian's offense. And it sounds like both JT Sanders, Gunnar Helm, uh, have bought into the physical part of that job and, and they're going to need both. They're going to need both last year. There were times where Cade Brewer was, you know, banged up and they didn't really have a good solution. Actually right. more two seasons ago, he was healthy for the most part last year, but you need depth at that position. And they got two young ones. We aren't even talking about Juan Davis and, you know, uh, uh, oh gosh. Laden uh, Bray, uh, Brain Librock. Mm -hmm. God bless him. You know, Juan Davis is probably the heir apparent to Jaleel Billingsley. Brain Librock's been injured most of his time in Texas. So um, all eyes right now are on Sanders and Helm. Yeah, no, for sure. All right. Pretty so good. let's get to position battle number three in our countdown. I'm really excited about this one. Um, it's the field safety position between Jaron Thompson and Keaton Crawford. Now, 
Steve Sarkeesian talked a lot about moving Keaton Crawford from corner uh, to the field safety position because he liked Keaton Crawford's tenacity, liked his bulldog mentality. Might, might not be the prototypical size, might not be the long, you know, 6'2", 6'3", long-armed, 205-pound uh, safety with range, but the guy is a warrior. He's a scrapper. Um, the thing he doesn't have is experience. He's up against Jaron Thompson, who started five games at field safety. He got benched um, late in the year for Brennan Schooler. And, and Jaron Thompson had real ups and downs, like real. Go back yes. and watch the Oklahoma game. It was not good. Um, he was one-on-one -on -one with Caleb Williams in the hole on that fourth and one behind the line uh, on that fourth and one that Caleb Williams took for 66 yards and a touchdown, the play that swung that game momentum wise um, point blank. Um, Jaron Thompson had some, some good games, but some tough ones. And so what I'm hearing Taylor is Jaron Thompson is he's a guy who sees himself as a leader. And we had Josh Thompson on the flagship podcast and he, he kind of made fun of Jaron about that. You know, he was like, Jaron thinks he's a leader, you know, we'll see if guys listen to him. Right. He, he didn't do enough as a player to earn that leadership respect. He's got to show that he can get it done or that I'm telling you that bulldog Keaton Crawford is going to, is going to get in there. And if he gets in there, I have a feeling it's going to be hard to get him off the field. Taylor, your thoughts. I totally agree. And you, if you're if you're going to be a leader, you have to show that you are leading at all times. And there were times where, especially in that Oklahoma game, I mean, honestly, and, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be, you know, piling on Jaron Thompson, but it looked like he gave up. It was like he got beaten. It's like, well, whatever. It's like, who's going to follow you? Like, nobody's going to follow you. No one's going to listen to you or take you seriously. And he got benched, you know, because of that game. And and rightfully so, I think. I mean, it was just a really, really poor performance. And it's kind of hard to shake it, you know. And so I think when I look at this, this battle between Keaton Crawford and Jaron Thompson, you would think that Jaron Thompson should have the upper hand because he's going into what his junior year, I think it is, um, has started, uh, I think, eight career games in total, played in all 12 last year, played in the 10 in 2020. He showed signs in 2020 as being a guy who could be elite eventually. But really, I mean, those those poor performances he had in 2021 are going to be very, very hard for me to shake to give him the upper hand, even though we probably, if you look at it, just like look at pay on paper, it looks like, oh yeah, this guy has the experience playing safety. This other one has not, it doesn't have the experience. And, um, but it, to me, Chip, it's the opposite. I think that Keaton Crawford's really the one to watch here. And I agree with you, you know, when, if he gets this job, I doubt he's going to let up. I mean, he, he's a dog. That's the type of thing that that's, that's his personality. That's his makeup. He's a speedy guy too. So he adds some speed to the, you know, the uh, secondary or keeps the speed, I guess, in the secondary, but adds to the safety position. I mean, there, there's just a lot of upside, I think with Keaton Crawford, even though he has zero experience playing safety. I mean, it's kind of bizarre to be talking about this, but I think Keaton Crawford is the one that um, is the one to watch here. And, and if less Jaron Thompson, something really clicks, 
um, this I think is Keaton Crawford's job to lose. What about you? What's your take? Yeah. And I've had people tell me that the, the negativity or the, uh Oh, here we go again. Attitude that may have been lined up right next to Jaron Thompson, uh, in BJ Foster could have rubbed off. I'm like, that's ridiculous that that can't, he should have been the one turning BJ Foster around. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) You don't succumb and be like, Oh, well, he's not trying. I'm not going to try. No. I mean that, that's not, that, that's, that scares me. That's a losing Um, mentality is what that is. That's a loser losing mentality and not calling him a loser. But if you start thinking that way and you let that type of negativity impact your ability to perform at the best level that you can, that you have shown. I mean, he showed flashes even as a true freshman. I mean, this is not some you no know, bad player. I mean, he was a he was a uh, he's a talented guy, but there's you you got to get your mental makeup changed there if you're him. Yeah, I mean, I uh, man, you long for the days of of Kenny Vaccaro and and Michael Griffin and Michael Huff and you know the safeties that just wreaked havoc on people uh it's been it's been too long and and well earl thomas for god's sake uh so let's let's see because this is a huge move by steve sarkeesian and he has been saying hey we want to play better coverage in the back end uh to free up a safety to move down into the box we're going to play more man we need guys even at the safety position depending on if the team's in five wide who can line up and go man. And, and that's why we moved Keaton Crawford from corner. Uh, that's why we moved Anthony cook from nickel, uh, to safety. Uh, the other guy who I find fascinating, uh, is Mo Blackwell, the linebacker who's backing up Anthony cook at the boundary safety position, because I love Mo Blackwell and he showed up big in the spring game. Now it's the spring game, but this guy will hit you. He couldn't put on the weight um, easily, so they said, "Listen, rather than have you try to eat your way through the pasta buffet line, let's play you where you can use your speed and your physicality." And and so, hopefully, Mo Blackwell will find his way onto the field from time to time. But yeah, this field safety position uh, is enormous because it's got to get better. The safety, the last line of defense was terrible last year. Um, God bless Brennan Schooler. Even when he got in, had a chance to put the Kansas game away and couldn't hang on to that interception that would have sealed the game. Uh, and then, you know, Kansas ends up winning that game. So uh, they just didn't have, they didn't play with confidence mm-hmm. that whole year. It seemed Um and heck, even the interception that BJ Foster had against Arkansas, he gave credit to Jade Barron for telling him right. that that play was coming. So Jade Barron is your new nickel. Uh, if he can hold off the arch whisperer, Michael Taff, just kidding. Uh, and Jaron Thompson <laughs> has also played nickel. He can play nickel. So if Keaton Crawford wins the field safety uh, position battle, Jaron Thompson could find himself uh, battling Jade Barron at the nickel. But um, it's it's fascinating. It's uh, for Texas fans. It's a little nerve wracking because this defense was so bad last year, and everything needs improvement. And when you're like Michael Griffin came on the flagship podcast and goes, "Are you kidding me? 
like the two starting safeties could be guys who played other positions last year. Like what the hell's happened? Well, what's happened is Marcus Caldwell, uh, Tyler Owens. Um, I mean, it's been one after another in the transfer portal. It, it didn't work out for whatever reason. And, and so, yeah, here's, this is where we are. And, and it is a little disconcerting because the big time programs have guys like airplanes on a runway waiting for takeoff in Texas. Oh, we don't have any airplanes on the runway. We got to move some guys onto the runway. Well, and they had to do that last year too, with moving Brennan schooler from or Brendan school. Did I say Brennan, Brendan schooler from wide receiver to safety. And yes, he did play safety when he first started uh, college, but that was what, what was he at 2017? Yeah, it was like three years, <laughs> you know, earlier. Yeah. Yeah, and he ended up being the starter. And I remember in coming out of spring ball, you know, Chip, I know you and I had talked about it. I was like, this is a terrible sign for what the safety position is going to be. I mean, this dude hasn't seen the field on defense in um, almost four years now, and he somehow is the starter. Like, it's like, what? Like, this is not a good sign for the future. And lo and behold, it was not a good sign for the future. Now, I do think it's it's a little bit better that these guys at least have the, you know, um, Keaton Crawford and Anthony Cook at least have experience playing in the secondary at Texas <laughs> and not having to, you know, change from the other side of the ball and learn, um, you know, that play to play defense again after being on offense for so long. So I guess this is a little bit better situation, but you're right. I mean, it's, it's baffling to think that this is a program that used to call consider themselves DBU because there was just a constant continuous, um, basically just, a uh, a line from Texas to the NFL at the in the secondary because of how many elite players came out and guys wanted to even if they had to wait their turn they wanted to be there so they knew that they were going to when they got their opportunity they were going to you know eventually go to the NFL so the that's definitely changed over the last I'd say more than a decade probably honestly but um, yeah it, it's it's baffling for sure and it's probably just mind numbing to guys like Michael Griffin, who were a part of the, the special guys that helped Texas make a claim of being DBU. And so now it's uh it's kind of start from scratch again at the position. Um, I think it's in a better position right now though, Chip, in my opinion, than it was last year at this time leading into fall camp. What would you say? Yeah. And I think BJ Allen, um, who was an early enrollee freshman went through the spring uh, is a guy they're excited about. Um, you know, he's not going to be forced into action. We don't think, um, but he looks like he's going to be part of the solution going forward. I think um, Larry Turner Gooden has more work to do, has a longer road than BJ Allen right now, but um, BJ Allen is a is definitely a guy to to keep an eye on as uh, as this thing moves forward. And of course, um, Texas has uh, help on the way in the twenty twenty three class. Uh, thanks in part to uh, Arch Manning. Um, <laughs> all right, Taylor, are you ready for some love it or leave it? I am. Before we get to love it or leave it, we're going to take a really quick break, but stick around. We have plenty more football talk coming up. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, 
you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Chip, you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. My first one for you is love it or leave it. It's a big deal that Steve Sarkeesian studied the offense of the Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams this offseason. Um, I don't know if it's a big deal, but I think it's interesting. So I'm, I'm going to leave this. I, I think it's, um, you know, a, a just to get totally sidetracked here for a second, we get a lot of comments on our message board about is Steve Sarkeesian incorporating Brennan Marion's go-go offense into the offense? Okay. Maybe, maybe, uh, you know, look for two running backs to the side of the quarterback, or uh, that's usually a, a favorite tell of the go-go offense, but um, you know, Here's the thing. Steve Sarkeesian can study Brandon Marion's go-go offense. He can study the LA Rams and how they use their, uh, how they get their blocking in 11 personnel and all that. But then Steve Sarkeesian has to call it in the game and it's got to be at the right time and at the right place. And we have no idea if that is going to play a big role throughout the season, maybe in one game. So I'm going to leave it as a big deal because I have no idea. I'm not in Steve Sarkeesian's game plan notes for the upcoming season. It could end up being a big deal if we're seeing like recurring stuff uh, that we haven't seen. If you're seeing, you know, Jaleel Billingsley crack back blocking, um, you know, on running plays uh, the way that Cooper Cup does for the Rams. But Right now, I just think it's interesting, Taylor. How about you? Yeah, I think it's not that big of a deal. I do think I think it's a good thing that he is willing to go outside of his own, um, you know, playbook and essentially or whatever he thinks for how offenses should be. Being that he is an offensive guru, an offensive-minded head coach, um, you know, I mean, I think Nick Saban would be the first to tout how how special Steve Sarkeesian is as an offensive play caller too. So I think it's a good thing that he is willing to 
listen to other people and is not just dead set as this worked other places, it's going to work here. You know, I think it's always good to have an open mind when it comes to, um, especially if you're a head coach, when it comes to different concepts and philosophies. But yeah, I don't think it's necessarily a big deal yet if, as you said, if we start seeing something different from Texas on offense this year that was not there in 2021 that Steve Sarkeesian's first year at Texas, or even, you know, different from what he did at Alabama and it works and yeah, that it will be a big deal. But I think right now you just look at this, I think as um, a good sign that he is willing to try to do whatever he can to learn um, both from himself and from other people. That's a good sign. I think of, um, you know, somebody who, has at least some humility willing to do something like that. So I, I think that it's not a big deal, but it's not a, you know, a bad deal either. I think it's just, it's a, it's, it's good that he's willing to try to learn from somebody who just, um, you know, won the Super Bowl, the top, uh, the top championship you can win in this sport. So yeah, I'm going to leave it to, but Maybe maybe we'll change our mind. I don't know. Maybe we'll mark this down and midway through the season, bring it back up again if, if yeah. you start seeing a lot of changes there. Well, and one thing you hinted at and were saying is Steve Sarkeesian doesn't have to be the smartest guy in the room. And our friend Sean Adams always used to say, A's hire A's and B's hire C's. And Mac Brown, great job. Hiring A's always went and got Gene Chizik, Will Muschamp, um, surrounded himself with the best of the best. And, um, you know, Tom Herman waited too long, you know, brought his staff from Houston, no offense. Um, but, you know, then makes changes three years in. <laughs> three years in after a, like a pretty, or I guess, you know, they win the Sugar Bowl and stuff and doesn't give them. It gives them like a one-year contract extensions because it's like, okay, can't right. fire him yet. You knew it was going to happen in tw after 2019 regardless. And I've always said early in their career, head coaches keep the guys who've been loyal to them. Mm -hmm. That's part of the growing process. As you get up into second and third jobs at a power five level like Steve Sarkeesian, you surround yourself with the best guys you can possibly find whether you know them well or not and that's what we're seeing from steve sarkeesian bringing in you know brendan marion and tashard choice two guys who had big time reputations as high energy uh coaches good recruiters good technical on-field coaches and then bringing in gary patterson uh even as a special assistant so look you want a coach who's gonna be i mean look at Nick Saban, for God's sake, he's got the ex coaches club in Tuscaloosa year round. Yeah. You know, you look around at any given moment, you got, you know, you've had everyone from major Applewhite, a former head coach there, Charlie strong, Butch Jones, Steve Sarkeesian, Bill O'Brien's there right now. The former head coach of the Texans in the NFL, a playoff coach is calling the plays for Alabama right now. And, and no one has adapted better than Nick Saban. And I think you hear that from Steve Sarkeesian when he talks about those damn dinosaurs all the time. You know, you got to adapt or die. There's a reason the dinosaurs are not here anymore. I, I think that story is so funny. <laughs> but I guarantee you he got it from Nick Saban because Nick Saban, you know, hated the 
up-tempo offense. Remember, he's like, we need to, we need to govern this. Guys are going to get hurt. And now who's going fast? Alabama spread. You know, Nick Saban has adjusted to everything. And he's he's got the number one team going into the 2022 season. All right, Taylor. Sorry. Uh number two. All right. The second one is love it or leave it. Xavier Worthy will lead the Longhorns in receiving yards and receiving touchdowns again in 2022. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to go against Xavier Worthy. This guy, this guy wants it, you know, and that's the thing you love is man, from the start, this is a guy who wants to be great and believes he's great. Remember when he let it slip last year? He wanted to be a thousand yard receiver with 10 touchdowns. He exceeded the 10 touchdowns and missed the thousand yards by like 27 yards or some, yeah, something. Yeah, something like 29, that. 29 yards. Um, so I just, as good as this receiving core is now with all the new mouths to feed in terms of uh, Isaiah Nair and Ajayi Hall, and you're hoping Troy O'Meary gets back to being Troy O'Meary. Uh, and my gosh, I just think you got to get it to Xavier Worthy. The guy's electric. So I'm going to, I'm going to love this Taylor. Um, I, I, I'm not saying, I don't think Jordan Whittington or Isaiah Nair are, or Jai Hall or whoever aren't capable. I just, I've seen it from Xavier Worthy. How about you? Yeah, I'm going to love it too. And he he was 19 yards off. He uh, finished last season. Yeah, finished last season with 981 receiving yards and 12 touchdowns. Yeah, and and that's the reason why I'm going to love this. I mean, and that's not a knock on any of, of the other receivers. It's just we saw it from Xavier Worthy, and we saw it consistently from Xavier Worthy. And he was a true freshman, and he didn't even enroll until the summer. And so – you know, he's had a full, a full year in more than now a full year being on campus, being around the team. You know, uh, he, I feel like you always, almost always see him and Quinn Ewers together when you see any like pictures or whatever of, uh, any of the players, it seems that they're always around each other. That's a good sign too. And I just think that he is going to leave or he's going to continue where he left off last season and Brennan Marion obviously has a lot or has a, a nice little resume booster going into taking over as a receivers coach at Texas with him coaching the Blitnikoff Award winner in 2021 and Jordan Addison. I think that, you know, Xavier Worthy is he, he both he and Isaiah Nayer, Nayer were um, named to the Blitnikoff Award watch list leading up to this season. I think Xavier Worthy could be one who's a finalist and, and it, it helps him that he has a coach that knows how to coach that level of talent in Brennan Marion, you know, coming into Texas after, um, you know, helping Jordan Addison turn to the Blitnikoff Award winner last year. So yeah, I'm going to, all that to say, that's not a knock again on Isaiah Nair. It's not a knock on Jordan Whittington. It's not a knock on the Jay Hall, Tariq Milton, whoever it may be. Um, with Texas being able to tr- totally overhaul that receiver position, make it a strength entering the 2022 season when it seemed to be Xavier Worthy and others last year type of thing once Jordan Winnington got hurt. Um, I just think that Xavier Worthy is a really, really special talent, and I think that he is a good coach to lead him and to you know help him take that next step. So 
I uh, there's no reason right now for me to doubt Xavier Worthy being probably the leader in receiving yards and touchdowns when it's all said and done this season. Yeah. All right. Love it or leave it. Number three. Final one is love it or leave it. UTSA on September 17th is a more dangerous game for Texas than the big 12 opener on the road the following week at Texas tech. So, you know, you always kind of start with a team's quarterback and and UTSA has Frank Harris, who's like back for his fifth season at UTSA. The guy bleeds for this UTSA Roadrunner teams from San Antonio, and Jeff Trailer just just turned the Roadrunners into San Antonio's team. This guy. Like they lost a bunch of production from that 12 and two team on the offense and the defense. And that quarterback, Frank Harris, scares, scares you because he knows how to win and he wills his team to victory. We saw it uh, in that 12 and two season for UTSA. Texas Tech, they got a three way quarterback battle. Now, maybe. Tyler Shuck or Donovan Smith are so good. And this new offensive coordinator from Western Kentucky who, um, you know, had Bailey Zappi last year throwing for 70 touchdowns. <clears throat> I just, and obviously UTSA is in Austin where Texas should just pull ax them. But I, I think the UTSA game is a scarier game than Texas Tech. So I'm going to love this. Plus, it's right after Alabama. Like, if Texas does the unthinkable and upsets Alabama, how on earth? I mean, you're going to try and get all those Longhorns back in the grinder underdog mindset with the pesky roadrunners coming in. I just feel like UTSA knows how to win. And Texas Tech is like Texas. They're trying to learn how to win, even though Tech went to a bowl game last year and Texas beat them 70 to 35. Taylor, I just think, uh, I think Jeff Trailer's that good. I'm going to say UTSA is a scarier game than Texas Tech, even though Texas Tech has like a really good running back room, some, some, some good players. Am I crazy? I don't know. I mean, maybe a little bit. <laughs> I don't know, but could be. It, it's so I, I always am one that would be more concerned of a team that has a really good coach and has nothing to lose when they come into a game. And that's kind of what UTSA is going into this Texas game. Jeff Trailer, I, I mean, I will forever be on the Jeff trailer bandwagon. I think he's a fantastic coach. I think the biggest mistake that Tom Herman made when he took over as head coach of Texas was not trying to retain Jeff trailer to his staff because he is just very, very special for, from a coaching standpoint, from a personal standpoint. I mean, he's just an overall, uh, has, has the it factor overall, you know, both, um, as a coach and personally. So he is somebody I know that I think that if if the Texas job ever came open and his name was in the mix, he would jump at that opportunity. 
So this may be kind of a, hey, um, let me build my resume by beating Texas for him. I don't know. It's just hard because, you know, UTSA with, even though they have a very experienced quarterback, you know, they lost their, their leading running back and sincere McCormick from last year's team. He was so crucial to the success of the offense for UTSA last year. And that's a big loss and a big gaping hole that you really have to fill. Um, I just, I don't even know. I don't know if I want to say I love it or leave it. Cause I'm like, I, I don't know what Texas tech is either. Cause I think Tyler shook could be, you know, there, there's a lot of unknowns, but there's a lot of pos potentially positive unknowns that could play out for Texas tech as well. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to love it too. Uh, just because, you know, Texas tech going through the transition, having a new coaching staff in place, you just, there's more times than not some ups and downs that will follow that. So yeah, I guess um, I'm going to go with the, the, you know, having an elite head coach um, who I just have a ton of respect for and a team with nothing to lose coming in that could potentially be a more dangerous game than Texas tech, but it would be like a coin flip really. If I, if I didn't have to make a, a statement, I'd say 50, 50 with this, I'll say 51, 49% of which one is, you know, the more dangerous game for Texas. But yeah, I'm going to love it and say UTSA. Yeah. Yeah. Either way, those are both tricky games for Texas in the fact that you're, you're playing teams early that you're going to be expected to pummel who are probably going to be better than you think. And if they're somehow in the game going into the fourth quarter, that's when you're going to find out about all this bonding that Steve Sarkeesian has talked about in this offseason, all this team building, um, because that's where you find out what your team is all about and just how together they are. So uh, most Texas fans are listening to us going, ah, Texas is going to win by 30 over UTSA and by 35 over Texas Tech. So what y'all kids talking about? <laughs> well, listen. If that's happening, then Steve Sarkeesian's team building uh, really took off this offseason. So yeah, and we'll we'll admit to being wrong if that is happening. I think. Uh, yeah, but forgive us for coming off this five and seven debacle yeah. and that six game losing streak where Texas seemed to be inventing ways to turn a W into an L. Uh, yeah. yeah, very hesitant to <laughs> to make too many bold statements for Texas this season. I think, uh, and I and that's I think everybody. I mean, I think if anybody's making some you know wild claims that works is a professional journalist and works in the media, if they're making anything that's saying Texas is going to win the Big Twelve right now, I'd be like, you're out of your mind. Like, take your burn orange goggles off. Did you watch last season? Like, let's uh, have a little bit more open, um, you know, mind and more cautious, I would say, <laughs> going into this coming off that five and seven season because they've had a great off season. Let's not, you know, I don't want to over, you know, overlook any of that. Texas had a great off season. Great off seasons don't always turn into great seasons. So they, they've got to prove it coming out of a losing uh, season. Yeah. And I, I would love to tell you, go put a $25 bet down on Texas to win the big 12, but I've got whiplash from, <laughs> so many seasons of higher expectations and lower final results. So, um, but, but Steve Sarkeesian 
has been talking about how Pete Carroll went six and six his first year at USC and Nick Saban went seven and six in his first year at Alabama. Now that's some tall cotton to be putting yourself in, but he did coach with both those guys. So he knows stuff. So let's see, let's see how Steve Sarkeesian's uh, team building and, and all these maneuvers in this off season uh, play out on the field. But I do think, a UTSA game and that Texas Tech game are tricky. Uh, all right, Taylor, good stuff, good stuff. Thanks, everybody, for hanging around with us, talking ball. Uh, here we are one week away from the start of fall camp. We'll have all that and much more for you uh, next week here on the Flagship Podcast. Until then, we'll see you over at horns247.com. Stay safe and keep the faith. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.